We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And it all feels a little bit like history repeating. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can watch me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's an old song that probably no one knows. I don't know anything about that song except that little bit. But it does all feel a little bit like history repeating as the song goes. Deja vu all over again as the saying goes. A lot of familiarity with what's happening at the moment. And it doesn't feel great. And... You know, I was listening to the Arscast um, so that I could uh, jot down everything they said verbatim and try to put it in my own words for this podcast. And they were talking about it like ruining the weekend and how you feel. And I do have to say, like, you know, you see people tearing each other apart on Twitter and the Discord or getting mad at each other. And like, why do people have to be this way? And then I realized why, right? Like, this made me miserable. Like, legitimately miserable. Now, it's hard to tell if it made me as miserable as I think because right after the game, I had to go to two different children's birthday parties so maybe that's what made me miserable, but I'm pretty sure it was the Arsenal game. And so it is one of those things that we have to remind ourselves, like we care so much about this. And there are times when I'm like, is it healthy? Is it healthy to be this upset about it? Um, we'll talk about why it's so upsetting, where we're going from here, the lineup, the performance, what it means for the season and all of that. But there is one group of people that I am proud of, and I want to talk about that because being proud of people and being positive is something that we could probably use right now. And that is you. You, if you are hearing my voice right now, I am proud of you. Uh, when we launched this fundraiser, we said, let's hit a 50,000-pound goal. And quietly, when I was talking to the foundation, when talking to Arsblog, talking to everybody, I wasn't sure we could hit it, but we'd give generously and we'd do our best. And it looks like we're going to get at or beyond 90,000 pounds, over $120,000 of funds raised. There are children who will have books and clothes and blankets in war-torn areas around the world because of what you did because you care about the club and this community and the Arsenal Foundation and what you did helps people. It is easy to just look at the number and forget that number reflects medicine, healthcare, educational materials, clothing for kids who have lost everything to war from Ukraine to Syria to, to Yemen and beyond. And so I cannot thank you enough. We will 
Close that out today. You have through the balance of the day today, and then I will draw the two winners of the VIP tickets from the main fundraiser and close the auction where the remaining tickets are, are up as well. So all of that will be done at the end of the day today. It doesn't mean you can't continue to give, but if you're giving because you want to win, that's it. One week. One week. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. One week it took to get to almost 90,000 pounds. Talk about a generous community. That is extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, every day I wake up and I go into the link and I refresh it and say, oh my goodness. And literally just a few minutes ago, there's more money, more money, more money. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I I can only, I don't know, it actually makes you feel very humble. I know I know we are very fortunate to have this platform, right, to reach so many people. And it's, it's definitely a good way to use it. But what I have to say is nothing without the people that listen and the type of people that they are. You know, when we, when me and you met Elliot and we all met people in the pub and people at a live event, my son was with me and he said to me, Dad, he goes, anyone that comes up to you is so nice and the people that, are, that follow you are so nice. And I've stayed in my mind and I think it's reflected. I spoke about the silent majority that just sit there listening and enjoying and don't say too much. And then when you tap them on the shoulder and ask them for help, they turn up on things like this. So I can, I can only... Um, you know, reiterate what you just said and just say thank yeah. you, really. Yeah, well said. I mean, one mysterious donor, 10,000 pounds contributed, matched every single one of the pounds given over the weekend. So incredible. And like, you talk about a platform, right? Like, you have a platform. You need to tell people why Lacazette's good or Lacazette's bad or the manager should stand. But like, that's obviously silly shit. If this is a platform, then this is the way to use it for sure. And Tim is on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Tim, and congratulations. And, you know, we, we will get on to the football now. But I, I definitely think saying thank you to everybody who can hear our voices right now is paramount. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and just to echo everything Clive said, really, it's it's just. Um, I mean, I don't want to say it's humbling in terms of because then it kind of sounds like I did it. <laughs> I kind of didn't. This is about what like other people have done, like on mass, like like immediately as well. Like we we hit that target um, within a few days, and and that's you know that's fifty thousand pounds. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Um, and to raise it so so quickly, um, and when you and you know it shows you the amount of donations as well. Yeah, um, and it, it's come from you know it's uh, I wouldn't say like it's come from a lot of people you know, but like fifty thousand feels quite outsized for the amount of people it's been. So you know you referenced someone like ten grand, um, which is just absolutely incredible for anyone um, you know who isn't a billionaire perhaps to. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Stan. I'm not, I can't remember <laughs> who it is, but it wasn't Stan. <laughs> no, exactly. And so it, it, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And I, yeah. I'm so glad that um, we, and and I mean all of, like, like not just us on the podcast, our listeners um, have been able to do something so incredible and so tangible um, as well for, for people who really, really need it. So yeah, just well my, my thanks to everyone. Yeah, and to point out, <clears throat> it's not just the 10 grand donation. It's the person who reached in their pocket and gave five because five five pounds because, like, times are tight, but they wanted to be a part of this and wanted to contribute. And, like, Mike McDonald, who got kids at his school where he teaches to donate to our fundraiser, you know, and raise a few hundred dollars. Like, it's it's extraordinary. Anyway, I, I, I know people are here to get their fill of the catharsis of moaning about the Brighton game and the uh, trajectory of our season. So we'll get on to that now, but thank you. Thank you again. Did that in about five minutes. Hope you're still here with us. Um, Clive, uh, before we get to the lineup questions, because I realize that that is 
a huge talking point. You know, Nuno not starting, Shaka playing left back. But I want to talk about what I perceive as the fundamental problem with this game, at least in the first half. And that is a basic lack of energy and running and intensity. Now, when you say that, I think people interpret it to mean the players don't care or they're not putting in the effort. We know they care. Look at what it meant to them when we beat Villa. Look at what it meant to them when we beat Wolves. And my worry is that maybe they care too much, and we are seeing some young players now, absent a few senior leaders, freezing a little bit under the white-hot spotlight. The lack of running from Odegaard on the first goal, so uncharacteristic. The lack of running from Saka and Sambi to track basic one-twos leading up to the second goal, which was a brilliant finish but the pullback is available because <clears throat> because of a lack of intense running. The the pressing where we're just not standing between the passing in the passing lanes, just off by a foot to the left or foot to the right, not shuffling feet, not moving. I'm curious if you saw that in the same way I did, and and I and I doubt it because <laughs> that's usually the case. But if you did, you know how you how you think about why. There's been such a drop because that is so uncharacteristic and we know it's not because the players don't care. No, it's not. They care a lot, right? So, And I saw it and when I see that sort of stuff, you, you then veer into the, oh, I wonder if they, I wonder if they're with the manager. I wonder if they're really with the plan. Particularly if you don't like the plan, then you try to add two and two together. And the way I look at football teams and and how you build a team, you there's so many facets to it, right? It's almost like a... It's almost like your favourite cocktail. You sip it, you think, ah, oh, there you go, perfect. The moment someone puts one... Five, it's, it's only 10.20 in the morning here. Please don't mention cocktails yet. I need to try to make it at least another two or three hours. <laughs> but it's like when you, when you sip your favourite cocktail, you you know when it's right, and then you know when it's wrong. And you can taste it on the first sip. Right? That's wrong. There's too many ingredients in the wrong place, blah, 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 whatever it is. And I, when that team sheet came out, I went, uh-oh, bad cocktail. This isn't going to work because the eternal search for balance is we had it and we lost it and we had to find another way. I was saying to Tim before the podcast, you have a choice when you go another way. So what do I do? Do I try to keep doing what we've always done and move pieces around to keep it going? Or do I try to find another balance? And for me, with the type of players that we lost, we had to find another balance. Not just because I think it was safer from a risk perspective, but also because I think it protected certain players. Now you heard me speak before about the left pod, right pod, base pod. But within that, I call it the overburdened spine of Party and Lacazette. And they mm. squeeze together based on the temperature of the game, right? So when we're under pressure, Lacazette comes closer. And when we're doing well, Lacazette uses his wonderful mobility to spring in behind, he says. <laughs> so he's the distance is further apart. And so when you lose one of the key players from that overburdened spine, you have to change how you manage your spine. It's as simple as that. And we didn't. We literally overburdened a very young player. We put another player out of position, which took away the heartbeat of our team. We disconnected all our pods. We passed to each other slowly. And the byproduct, Elliot, is you see a lack of effort. What I see is a lack of belief in what we were doing. Yeah. receiving the ball facing the wrong way, nobody stretching the play, no exits in wide areas, our best two players end up playing as wing-backs. I mean, I have never seen such a bad cocktail in my life. Honestly, it was so bad. All because you didn't hold on to your balance. 
you you didn't do it. And the, the thing that's really annoying me at this moment in time, if you've listened to me for long enough, I don't mind losing games of football. I hate being bullied physically. Uh, you know that from listening to me. And, and, and from I, me doing it to you when I was in London. <laughs> and I don't like that. And I absolutely hate um, stupidity. Now, again, when you have experiences that are basically, we had them last year, to do them again is stupidity. You know, experiences, when you go through a bad, something bad, you learn from it. We had that at Villarreal. We're doing it again. And yeah. that, to me, I, I can't I can't deal with that. I struggle with that. It's ruined my whole weekend. And I, heard, I haven't heard what Andrew said earlier, but it's ruined my whole weekend because now I'm questioning, I'm questioning things. I'm questioning people. And I don't like to go there. I like to just watch the football. But when you're stupid, twice, I start I start to question people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, take it from me. I've been stupid many, many, many times, and I'm familiar with the questions. No, I mean, all kidding aside, <clears throat> like, I totally agree. And I think the reason a lot of us are feeling so down is because, you know, we know that the injuries may have derailed our season to some extent, but we also look at what happened against Brighton, and I think what we see is there was that hope before the Brighton game that, We'll have learned from last season and we'll see a response and the season gets back on track. But that hope has faded because we don't seem to have learned from what derailed our season last season. And that that is frustrating. And Tim, like I it is hard for me, right? Because there are some things that I say the manager can just do better picking a different team. But then there are other things like like Gabriel just not being able to complete passes anymore. Or Odegaard just not tracking back defensively, or you know, little things like that that, you know. Smith Rowe being so much more negative than he used to be, Lacazette just literally vanishing like Houdini on the pitch all of a sudden, that that the manager can't really do much about. But I do wonder if a lot of this flows from, hey, we had the system and the system kind of worked and and now we it was fragile. Like maybe what we didn't realize is that it was a really positive, effective system, but it was fragile and the Jenga pieces have been pulled out and now the whole thing has collapsed and the players look like they don't really know how to react, and so they're freezing. But that starts with the lineup, so let's touch on it. Um, mm. He talked up Nuno pretty well in his pre-match comments, but you've mm. always said, you, manager tells you what he thinks of a player by who he picks and who he plays. He didn't pick Nuno. He didn't sub Nuno on. He takes Shaq out of midfield, and Sambi looks like a deer in headlights. And I don't think any of it is that surprising. No. Um, because we saw it last season, you know, not with Sambi, but we, we saw what this does and, you know, he wants to have it both ways. Oh, I'll play Shaq at left back, but in possession, I'll let him come in a little more central to try to support Sambi. But like the other team gets to do tactics too, Tim. And like, they just sussed that out. They knew where the spaces were going to be as a result of that. And they knew how to shut down our attack, be, you know, because it didn't have the width when we we're in possession and it didn't have the coverage with when, when they were countering, like, it, it just felt like, to, to Clive's point, lessons not learned from last season. So I'm curious if you are as frustrated as, a, as I find myself with that decision-making. Yeah, a little bit. And um, uh, apologies if you can hear traffic in the background. I've just moved near a main road and someone has just decided to drive past in the most appalling motorcycle. Uh, and I think they're probably going to career off it very soon. But anyway, <laughs> it did speaking, sound a little of, reckless at the, at the <laughs> speaking uh, of careering off course, yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the problems are relatively uncomplicated here. The solutions are the complicated bit, but the problem is relatively uncomplicated. We've got quite a big gap between some of our first team players and some 
some of the squad players that we're expecting to come in. Um, so Tierney, you know, we bought Tavares in the summer and we've come to a stage where the manager kind of thinks he's unusable, like he didn't even come on in this game. I I thought he'd come on at half time. Um, and when that didn't happen, didn't come on at all. It's like, oh, okay, th- this this decision is very much made. So I think that's Tavares done at Arsenal, albeit if you were looking for a way to repair his confidence, if you're that invested in the player anymore, then starting him on Saturday, I think, would go some way to repairing some of that damage. You know, coming back and going, yeah, actually, we tried something else, didn't work. We'll go, mm. we'll go with you. But um, and and then there's like Lukonga for party and. The thing is, I think this is just where we are in the squad build. We bought six players last summer. Four of them have gone into the starting lineup, and I think it's relatively uncontroversial to say they have all improved the team. Ramsdale, White, Erdegaard, and Tomiyasu. I think undoubtedly those four players have improved Arsenal's starting eleven, and that was the priority. Mm. Now, the crux of this game, I, I think there are three cruxes of this game, really, <clears throat> where we have a question about squad depth, is that two of those signings from last summer, Lukonga and Tavares, who are both, well, I think Lukonga is a potential signing and someone they're looking at and thinking, okay, we can use him as a backup for now and hopefully groom him towards something better because Xhaka and Partey are, you know, getting towards 30. Mm. Um, And Tavares, I think, was a bit of a Hail Mary, like I said on the last podcast. I always had the sense that was a bit of a, will he be Stepanovs or will he be Colo Torre? Let's just roll the dice and see. And I, I have some sympathy with that because last summer we were not in a position to piss around looking for expensive backup left-backs all summer. So mm. we, we've got this situation where uh, Tavares is one of our signings and don't really trust him anymore. And Lekonga, you know, could well be a, a very good player one day, but he's not ready to do what Thomas Partey does. And then the other uh, and, and the other problem we've got, of course, is that we're not in Europe this year. So in, in a world where Arsenal are in the Europa League this season, Tavares and Lekonga probably have another five or six games under their belt. Um, if we don't go out against Nottingham Forest in the third round of the cup and we get to, I don't know, the fifth round instead, that's another two games. That could have been invaluable. That could have been really invaluable because what's happened really is that Tavares and Lukonga have barely played since November. And now all of a sudden, well, we're not asking it of Tavares. We asked mm. it of him at Palace. And mm. all of a sudden we're asking him to do big, important jobs when A, they're not experienced anyway, and B, they just haven't played any football. And that's that's kind of a... You know, that's not a great position to be in. But at the same time, I do have some sympathy because with all the work that needed doing on the first 11, like the the squad bit has to come next. You have to sort your first 11 before you start kind of adding like a bit of squad resilience. The the other crux of it, of course, is, and and um, I won't go into depth on this now because I imagine we will have this conversation, is up front as well, where the only reason Lacazette is in the team is because there are no alter or there are no clearly superior alternatives um so we've got a question over like a few positions and unfortunately they're exposed i have some sympathy with arteta because i don't think there were any there were this was about making the least worst decision i think um i don't think that there is definitely an alternative universe not very far from here where tavares starts on saturday and we're two nil down at half time and both goals are his fault, and he has to come off again, and that's that. Um, there again, you look at where Brighton's first goal came from, and it comes because they get in behind Xhaka. Um, you know, had that happened to Tavares, we'd be we'd be saying that's a Tavares mistake. He has to come out. Um, so it's 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 a bit there, there weren't there weren't good options, 
um, available to Arteta. I do think he made probably the worst one though. And I think Paul kind of nailed it on the instant reaction pod where he kind of said, this was like a, a tactic of fear. This was yes. about mm-hmm. making like, let's try and make left back six out of 10 and central midfield five or six out of 10, instead of just saying, right, let's have central midfield eight out of 10. Let's keep as much strength as possible. And look, if we have to carry Tavares at left back, we have to take that risk and not expense that against like a, a crucial area like central midfield, for example. So yeah. I, I think that that's how I'd index it. It was kind of, it was a selection out of fear, really. That's really well said, uh, and and I think you're brilliant for coming up with it, and no one has said it previously or thought it previously. I'm here for the Paul Erasure, I'm kidding. Um, but like, yeah, because to me, this is very much a selection of what can I do that I trust and is safe and won't hurt me as opposed to what can I do that keeps us effective as an attacking going forward on the ball team that has to take control of a game and go win a game. And I do think that my earliest complaints with Arteta before I really came around to him were that he was someone who was much too focused on nullifying the opposition and much too focused on what kept us solid as opposed to what can go win us games. And this, this selection feels a little like that. And Clive, I think it threw a lot of things off tactically. And, and, and again, I don't think that that necessarily means that you just forgive players like Gabriel for not being able to pass or Samby for being a deer in headlights or Smith Rowe for being more negative than usual or Lacazette for uh, accidentally putting on his invisibility cloak instead of his Arsenal kit. But like it, it all, I do think that it all flows together a bit because it's a selection that's more about safety and security than about dominating in game. Yeah, so so what's happened? What's what's happening here before we jump? Please in? tell me. I would love to know. What <laughs> before we jump into it. solution mode, right? So you probably the first time I noticed this was probably a, a few weeks ago, and it's funny if watching Jamie Carragher sort of assess the Man City midfield, and he said what it, what what he would do to stop them, and he said I would put a player each side of Rodri and make sure that they they couldn't progress the ball there. And then he spoke about Arsenal midfield a couple of weeks later, and he said the same thing about Pike. Basically, play the same way, give it with a quality gap. And so Crystal Palace showed what to do. They they man mark party and they broke the link to Odegaard, which breaks the link to Saka. And then you're reliant on Lacazette to win games, where we know what happened there, right? So, so what's happening? So we're so we need to adjust to that. So what did um, Brighton do? They had a midfield three that were fantastically leggy and aggressive. They pressed the central areas, unsettled us, kicked us, much like Palace did in our own game as well. And they ruffled our links. We were on the floor holding our legs, screaming, looking for bookings. Referee didn't fancy it. Game was disjointed. They score. And they basically just crowded the central area. So what do we do? So what do we do? We're so dumb. We're so dumb. We then take Shaka out of the central area where he is an influence. We put him at left back because he's such an alpha. He then has a lot of the ball. But he's having a lot of the ball in our half. How many passes do we play in our half or in our final third, mm-hmm. in our third, middle to in our half? Too many passes in the wrong areas, allowing them to feel comfortable, allowing them to press onto us. Everything's in front of them. Every player's receiving the ball back to goal. No link around the corners. No one touches could be being smashed off the ball. It's so dumb. Just having a fullback that when he touches it, it steps it forward out of his feet and travels, immediately sends 
everybody back and everybody forward. Having a fullback that keeps it, goes backwards, goes inside, like a midfielder, if Shaka's doing that same pass 15 yards up, it's a different pass, right? It's to Odegaard. It's to Smith-Rowe. It's not from back there, right? It's just dumb, dumb, dumb. Everything about that decision is dumb. He's in wide areas. He doesn't want to be there, so he tucks inside. Sambi's out left back. It just looks disjointed. It looks disjointed to me to how the players feel. They look depressed. They look depressed. How have we done well? Three pods, triangles on the outside, triangle at the base, combination play, leaving the midfield middle space, sprinting off the sides with one-two quick football. Mm. If you can't do it and you get your central zone blocked off, do you know what you do next, Elliot? When you have a press, you can go through, around, or over the top. So we now need to stretch. Who's our centre forward? He ain't a stretcher. He's not a stretcher. If you've got your two stretchers playing wing backs because you picked the wrong team, you've messed up. So not only have you messed up, you've now messed, you've lost your exit plan. You can't get out. Your whole body language and all your primary, primary players that control the possession are now in your base pod, not in your side pods, not driving through the middle with a, with a drive through from a party or whatever. It's just, it's such a poor selection. And I've I got to call it out. You've got to call it out what you see. It's such a poor selection. And we, there's, the thing I have an issue with, with our manager, is the gap between those who are trusted and the ones who are not trusted. It's huge. And then you bring, you tap Pepe on the shoulder and say, come on, mate, can you come and save us at 2-0 down? Look at him, he's yeah. saying, sod you. I ain't coming on. You've had me sitting here for six weeks in a coat as I'm traveling around the country. Why am I going to run around for you? You've got to bring people with you. This is what I was trying to allude yeah. to earlier in, in the month. You've got to keep people on the boat when you need them. You cannot just sit there and say, I'm going to ignore these people because when you need them, they're not going to be there for you. It's called proactive risk management. Arteta is not, for me, a good crisis manager. So what you do when you're not a good crisis manager, you make sure you don't have a crisis. And you keep people in and around you to make sure you have the right unity deeper than what we've done. We haven't brought enough people along, and now we're all sitting here as fans expecting them to be brilliant. And, I, and it's, it's unfair on them. It's really unfair. So we haven't burdened Nuno enough, but we've overburdened Sambi. What are we trying to do, kill him? You know, it's ridiculous. Mm. How could you ever do that to a young kid? Thomas Party's only just worked that role out, and he's 28. Um, and Arsenal fans are just warming to him before he got injured. And he had to be like Superman to make that role work. How can you expect a 21-year-old kid in his first league, first league season to do that role? I thought he did a fine job, by the way, based on the experience that he has. So disappointed in us. Because I'll tell you one thing, right? Arteta has just been getting his song, his song sung, shall we say, recently. Because people have just finally started to link to him, to trust and I'm, I'm, I, I feel really disappointed that some of that trust has been eroded for me. And he needs to be, he needs to be turned around quickly. Just hold your hand up and say, "I got it wrong." By the way, we never get a team selection wrong because we are sitting here and we can look at it retrospectively. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. I need to fix it. And I tell you, if he fixes it, the results—it's not so much the results. It's we need to look like an Arsenal team again. We didn't look like one at the weekend, right? Apart from the last five yeah. minutes, we need to get get back to being a team that looks like something we can recognise with people standing in the right place and doing their primary jobs to the best of their ability. And also, the ones who are trusted, who are not in form, 
treat them fairly. You haven't done it for a while. You need to sit down. Do you know what I mean? And that's the truth. I don't care if you're trusted or not. Mm. Because, and that's what needs to happen. It needs to happen a lot longer, a lot sooner than what it has had. I'm sure that will link you on to the next part of the conversation. <laughs> it sure will. Yeah, look, the, the famous Arsene Wenger saying is that, you know, confidence goes up by the stairs and down by the elevator. And that's happened to us. And injuries, you know, push the elevator down button. But I, I think we could have stopped it at a higher floor with some different choices. And Tim, the loneliest place to be in punditry is early on a concept. Yeah. You know, whether it's me saying, oh, you know, I don't know that the Obamiang resigning was smart or people who, you know, were on board with Arteta before we had turned the corner or people, you know, like it's, it's lonely because you're putting an idea out there that you sincerely hold. It's unpopular and it hasn't really proven to make a lot of sense yet, but managers have to do that. They have to see what's around the bend before they get there. And that's hard because when everything is working, the instinct is to leave it alone. And I totally understand that. But you and Clive wanted to have this conversation about Lacazette while it was still working. And to be fair, I, I thought he was very important to the things we were doing well. But you started to see those things fading and the extent to which his influence was waning and the extent to which he's making life easier for defenders – and I think, you know, we saw some of this even with Olivier Giroud when he wasn't at his best. When central defenders aren't scared that you can get in behind them or that you can bully them or that you're going to be able to turn them and they can push up a little bit higher and they can be less concerned about the space behind them, it compresses everything you have to do because now your midfielders have, mid, have their markers closer to them and the center backs are closer to them and the lines get compressed and you don't really have anywhere to go because your center forward can't can't turn, can't create the devastation that keeps center backs, pin backs, ke- keeps them worried. Um, and, you know, the Lacazette conversation now seems so obvious, but it is incumbent upon a manager to see that something isn't working and, and get a look at, at maybe other options, even if it's at the 60-minute mark of a game where you're winning, whatever the case, we didn't do that and we're paying for it. And if you want to read Scott's Crab Stats article or his timeline, I mean, it's it's no shots, seven passes, 15 passes received, more touches in the defensive third than the opposition penalty area, stays on to play the game for reasons that, you know, I I really can't see. And it doesn't give me joy to pick on Lacazette, but Mm. it it is only at the situation now because we, you know, we didn't try to find an alternative. And I don't even, you know, look, forget the Aubameyang thing. He is not at our club anymore. It doesn't mean there aren't alternatives. The argument that I made, Tim, is that, you could say, oh, we don't have another strike. I mean, do you think it should be Eddie? Well, maybe it should be Eddie based on how he's looked in his recent cameos, but maybe it should just be put the most talented forwards you have on the pitch. I watched City and Liverpool play out a phenomenal game at the weekend, and I don't know that you'd say any of the players out there were recognized strikers per se, mm. but they still seem to create devastation. Um, so I, I I don't know. I mean, I I guess this, this feels like the low ebb in the Lacazette situation, and I certainly think no matter how much faith a manager has in a player, at some point there has to be a line in the sand. Yeah, 100%. And really, again, uh, uh, look, completely admittedly, you're looking at a least worst <clears throat> scenario here. Again, like anyone that thinks Inketia or Martinelli up front will transform Arsenal totally as an attacking 
outfit is probably kidding themselves. They're, they are both going to be imperfect solutions for different reasons. However, I mean, my my personal favourite at the moment would be to play Martinelli through the middle. Um, I mean, he did score a goal in this game. Um, it's just the invisible man decided to like delay everything for four minutes, then take it away for reasons that nobody can really understand but there you go <laughs> um but martinelli the, the thing is what martinelli can't and won't do probably is that come short link play kind of stuff that is important but lacazette's not doing that either <laughs> at this stage so you might as well have someone who does have some threat in behind and I, i'm not kidding myself that playing martinelli up front is going to be immediately ah Sold, brilliant, top class solution. It's we're in the land of least worse. Mm. Again, certainly going to give center back something different to think about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it gives like an element of unpredictability, and you're right. It, like at least it pushes them back a little bit, and you you definitely get some pressing as well from Martinelli, which uh, I, I'm just not sure Lacazette has the fitness for really. Um, and and I think that's part of his problem at the moment. Not just that he's been sussed. And that he's he's quite one dimensional, really, um, and not really willing to try other elements of the game. But I th- I think it's also just it's it's also quite likely he's just knackered because he's he's not he's never really been much of an athlete. Um, and and yeah, a- absolutely. Like we spoke about this in depth after the Villa game and and that game because this is the other thing when things were going quite well recently, um, and not to relitigate that necessarily because they were going well we were playing well but one of my frustrations Mm -hmm. we were only winning like that Villa game that should like look at what Spurs did against Villa and what Arsenal did against Villa like purely in a like build-up sense and like look at Tottenham's XG from that game they got four goals we like I'm not saying we should have got four goals against Villa but it should have been more than one nil. Like we should, have, like the game should have been over at half time. And the other side effect this has is not only what we talked about after the Villa game, where Villa were like, "Well, okay, we can put our defence on the halfway line because this guy, I mean, he's not even on the halfway line for a start. <laughs> he's mm. he's like in defensive midfield, and um, he's not going to be able to spin in behind us anyway. But also, what it does is it means in some of those games we can't rotate, we can't take it easy, we can't take players off. And I, I wouldn't mind betting that's kind of behind some of these injuries as well. The fact that we have to be full tilt 90 minutes every week because we don't score enough goals. And so, I, I mean, I think we've got to do something at this stage. Like, we've got to try something. And if it doesn't, like, if it really doesn't work for 60 minutes, you can always bring Lacazette on later. And maybe, like, with his energy levels, maybe he's more suited to 30 minutes. Anyway, may- maybe he makes a more positive contribution in that time because this this really, really isn't working. I don't think it has been for quite some time now. Um, maybe since... I was really hoping that Wolves home game and that late winner, which wasn't really his, but I think we were willing to give him uh not least because he played really well that night i really hope that would be a bit of a launch pad for him but it seems to have been the opposite to be honest and i just really get the feeling i i I don't really care who the captain is but i don't think it should be him because i don't see leadership because one of the things i just don't see i don't see a willingness for him to try anything else and i know like i know like he's not comfortable doing certain things, but like what, what Clive was just saying about Lakonga, right? We asked Lakonga to do something that clearly he's not 
going to be quite comfortable with at this stage. He's not equipped for it at the moment. We asked him to do that. And then our captain is just like, nope, I just do the stuff I like doing and I'm not going to try anything else. And like, I, I'm sorry, I don't see leadership in that. And I don't see leadership in, you know, and when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking about shouting and, and stuff like that. I'm talking about how you lead by example, how you sacrifice yourself for the team, how you go, okay, you know, I my behavior is how I'm going to lead and I'm, I'm going to spin in behind and I'm going to try and make a run. I'm going to try. I might not be brilliant at it, but I'm, this is what the team needs from me at the moment. I just don't see that from Lacazette. I just see him going, okay, going to try this again because this is what I like doing. And and yeah, it it just it doesn't um, doesn't butter any parsnips with me. I'm afraid. I, I think he has to sit down <laughs> yeah. um, on on tactical and I'd say almost like personal. Uh, I, I I don't think personal is the right. There's the word I'm looking for, but you know, like other factors as well. Yeah. Well, and and this is the thing that sucks, right? If you do it early you get to find out what kind of flexibility you have in your system, whether it's anti-fragile or not, you know, wh- what direction you're going, especially given that Lacazette's not the future of the club and you got other guys that are. But now we've reached a point where there's literally no downside to taking him out of the side because we got thumped by Palace and, and beaten by Brighton. And in both of those games, to be fair, like if you just look at XG, you say, actually, we were the better team. But like, I think we all know that by the time we were the better team, the games were decided. The point is that like, There's no downside because there is no telling how we're going to get a performance out of this team based on the last two games. And just sticking with what we've been doing now is not going to cut it. So there's very little risk to him making the change at this point, which I guess is the one positive. I don't want to stay in the locker thing too much because, to be fair, it can get a little tedious talking about it over and over. But, Clive, I don't want to shut you out of it. Um, I certainly think that there was a period when it was working where he was really helping to unlock especially that right-sided pod with Odegaard and and uh, Saka. And as he's drifted from, from involvement, I mean, more passes that were directed to him in this game were not completed than were. As he's drifted from involvement, those pods have disintegrated around him. So I, I think, you know, part of the argument for dropping him too is just that I, I think he is having a knock-on effect on the performance of other arguably more important players. Yeah, I, I've, I've been speaking about this for a little while. I, I don't think I don't think the link-up play is, is that exciting. I um, There's a comp going around us of Ivan Tony at the weekend. Look at that link-up play. And that's link-up play to get excited about. Right? So I don't think it's that exciting. Dare I say Kareem Benzema. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're gonna, Settle for that. I think we've over-indexed in link-up play. I've said that. We've over-indexed it. And... I always look at how teams play against us. So I went to Liverpool game and I saw them push us back in the second half. They stood their mate fag on. At the weekend, um, Anderson at Gwet and Gay, sorry, at um, Crystal Palace, fag on, sitting there, nice and relaxed. Um, no stress, no stress whatsoever. And at this, this crunch period in the year, you almost have to, you have to almost rip up the playbook a little bit. And you have to, you have to look at how teams are feeling against you. And even that Wolves game, you know what? The Wolves game, do you remember it? Do you remember how many shots he had and how many chances that he wasted? Do you remember mm, it? Yeah, a lot. And if he didn't, <laughs> I, I, if he didn't yeah, get that winning like goal... shots or something like that? Yeah, we, if he didn't get that winning goal, we'd be having this debate about drop points against Wolves. We would be we would be all over it. because. But he, he did work incredibly hard and he, he deserved a bit of a break and he kicked it off his own foot. He went into the back post. He got a break. 
but let's not talk about him as a striker that day. It was not good. It wasn't good. So even that nice memory, if you look at it analytically, it was not a good game. And I look back and I say to myself, when was the last really good game? So he's definitely an enabler for other young players to have really good games. But when was his last really good game? I thought that Wolves game, he did lead, by example. But as a striker, it was not a good game for him. You know, and Pepe came on and had to show what a striker looks like in the box, right? And um, and if you're looking at Arsenal Football Club, you said to me, well, what do I do up front? You know, what do I do? And, and I'm sorry, he's not in it for me. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I think other people that we could trust more, and I include Pepe in that, I really do. I think he's more of a danger. People don't trust him. Why should they trust him? Maybe don't trust him, right? He knows it. So um, it's, even when he does do well, he's back on the bench again. So he's out of the picture. The gap between the trusted and the not trusted is too big for me. And I'm afraid Pete, there are some people in the group that can do no wrong. And that can't be allowed to manifest itself. For two, it, just, it can't. And that, it just can, can can't. I make one point about that, Clive? And and just do you mind if I just uh, – because yeah, it, please, it, it triggered something please. for me, which is one of the things that I, I worry a little bit about with Mikel, because we have talked about this in the past – he is a guy who clearly wants people on the boat, working hard in training, doing the things he asks. He's very big on culture, and I think he's been proven out by that to some extent. Yeah. But one of the things that frustrates me slightly is I think that he is a manager who has shown that your selection will be based on how you do in training, on being part of the culture, on being on the boat, whatever you want to say, but that that doesn't always extend to performances on the pitch and that we have seen runs of players who are not performing on the pitch not lose their place over that versus players who maybe might have added something on the pitch, but who for one reason or another behind the scenes, and admittedly we don't know what those things look like, um, th- they are docked credit and, and opportunity as it relates to that. And whether that's a player like Pepe, I don't know. You know, Whether it's a player like Nuno, I don't know. Whether you know that could just be on the pitch stuff or some players who are no longer even with the club. But how do you feel about that, that balance? The balance of are we a club now that rewards training ground and and culture-related compliance maybe a little more than on-the-pitch-on-match-day performance? And, and again, not to say that the training ground and culture stuff doesn't matter, but do you feel it may have an outsized weight versus pure on-the-pitch match-day stuff? Yeah, it, it does matter, Elliot. Really. You know, what happens in, in training and your everyday of place of work, it does matter. I can't say I've not had the same thoughts as, as you, Um and, I've, and, and I have, but it's very difficult to sit here on the podcast and say, well, this is what's gone wrong. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's unseen stuff. But I'll give an example of somebody that who is trusted, really trusted, and I think I think maybe over-invested in talent-wise, and a player that's done reasonably well. And it's, it's Cedric, for example. I think he's trusted. I think he's a great professional. I think he does all the right things. And he's coming for Tommy Asu. And we know he's got a ceiling, but I think he's done really, really well. But, but please, but, he doesn't have to take that free kick, right? Okay. Well, <laughs> that drove me nuts. No, no, but, but 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 that tells you something, doesn't it? It tells you about the trust levels. Yeah, yeah. He Obviously, has. in training, something's been happening. But, but that's exactly. Him. But that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. He's he has now been trusted to a level that we are one to, or two nil down at home, and there's a free kick there, and that way, lads, I've got this. Now, come on, mate, you're. <laughs> Last scene doing crosses from the halfway line. They're mid-table crosses. Come on. This is not where we want to be. 
you know? And when you look at the team, you have to work out who you want to invest in. And this is my thing. Know who you want to invest in. Make sure you invest in the right areas of your team to make sure they're sustained. And I think we overburdened Shaq massively in this game. We gave Cedric too much too much responsibility and too much love. We don't give other players the same love. And this is, this is a concern for me because we trimmed the squad and I totally agreed with it. We trimmed the squad just so that we can give them all the love because you are the trusted ones. You can't reduce it. You'll, you can't weaken yourself by how you treat some of the players that are trusted and in the squad, in a reduced squad. You can't reduce your squad even further by not trusting some of those people because you really are running a risk now. And you're running a risk for the second season in a row. There's a lot of people that have suddenly reappeared in my timeline ready to give him a kick in the shins. You know, really ready. And um, he has to learn very quickly. And I'm not critical. You know me, Elliot. I don't don't get critical about this, but repeat mistakes, no excuse. No excuse. We saw it last year. You know, we saw it against Villarreal. We we should have beaten Villarreal. We'd have got to Manchester United, who were imploding in the final. We should have already been in Champions League, whether we deserved it or not. Is it, we should already be there. We're not here now. We, we I use the words we deserve it this time. If we're going to do stupidity like this, we don't deserve it. You yeah. have to learn very fast for the next eight games. Look, I I still want to get to the Martinelli thing because I think that unfortunately becomes a huge turning point in the game for us. Obviously, I want to get to some of the subs. Uh, and performances that maybe should have us rethinking selection. And I, and I do want to talk about where where this sends our season now, uh, the Predictatron, in obvious tatters, as it always is, let's be fair, so I blame us. Um, but before I do that, so we have a new uh, new sponsor at the podcast, and it's a company that I, I love. And it's funny because I had bought their product. It's Athletic Greens and the product AG1. It's uh, just an incredible one-stop solution for like all of your gut health, all of your vitamin needs, uh, nutritional benefits. It, it's phenomenal. But it's funny because I had the product it sitting on my counter and I hadn't even opened it. You know, one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm going to get around to that. And I have a friend who's like a big fancy doctor. He's over at my house. He's like, oh, I have that. I use that. I'm like, oh, you use that? He's like, yeah, it's great. It gives me energy, helps with sleep and digestion. It's better than taking all these different vitamins like that. And he points over to where I have like my gummies, my vitamin gummies. He's like, those are just sugar pills, dude. And this is the thing, right? Like, whether you are someone who takes a bunch of different vitamins or tries every you know newfangled drink they come out with that's supposed to wake you up, an energy drink, a shot, or whatever it is, or if you're like me, like I have gut health issues, not that you want to hear about that, but like it's something that I've dealt with. And so finally, I'm like, all right, what the heck? Pour some of the stuff into a shaker bottle, shake it up, drink it, tastes fine. You know, liked it. My wife's like, oh, that tastes okay. And literally within a couple of days, Notice the difference how my stomach felt. Notice the difference in my energy. Stop taking those silly gummies that like you probably honestly just flush out when you use the bathroom and like they're all full of sugar. Athletic Greens AG1 is awesome. I can vouch for it. Um, I want to tell you a few things about it though that I think are really important. First of all, it's lifestyle friendly. So if you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, you can use it. Uh, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, artificial, anything. So for better sleep and recovery, mental clarity and alertness, all your vitamin needs, you have it. From a price standpoint, you're looking at something that's less than three bucks a day. And my vitamin regimen was definitely more than that. Um, you see it being promoted by like athletes and it has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Also, just in terms of liking the company, they're climate neutral certified. 
Um, and they donate to kids. They donate to No Kid Hungry. Um, and in, in the last year, they donated 1.2 million meals. So as we are doing a fundraiser, um, you know, there's someone that believes in that. Look, if you take a multivitamin, if you want better gut health, if you want better nutritional benefits, sleep alertness, this is it. You take one thing, it's, you know, food derived, so your body absorbs it better. I just think that, you know, as someone now who use, like uses this and it took a nudge of a doctor friend of mine to do it, but I do it. I love it. I can't recommend it highly enough to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of the Im immune supporting vitamin D and five travel packs. So a year supply of vitamin D supplement and the travel packs just drip the vitamin D into the into the mixer bottle that you get um, with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's at athleticgreens.com slash vision. You, you got to try it, seriously. Um, and quickly, if you're looking for uh, the best talent for your company, I uh, recently been doing the job search thing a little bit, just trying to make some changes in my life. Got my gut health sorted, so I needed my professional life. And like one of the hard things is even knowing what jobs to apply to. And so then you just give up. But with Indeed, one of the things I like is they have instant match. And as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. You can invite them to apply. So like all these people out there who are really good, who could be just what you need, but they don't know what to apply to, you invite them. Then you get the applicants and you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Okay, I, I absolutely love that. Uh, they deliver four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. They make it easy to hire. According to Comscore, they're the number one job site worldwide. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 sponsored job credit. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. And I will tell you, right, like a lot of stuff, fun stuff, shaving your privates, getting hired, but like that AG1 stuff from Athletic Greens, I I got kids. I don't sleep enough. I don't eat as well as I should. Like this stuff has been awesome for me. So something I really do actually believe in. Um, okay, Tim, um, the, the Martinelli goal, like here, here's my basic thoughts on this. There are games you play poorly and you don't deserve anything, but deserves got nothing to do with football. Sometimes mm -hmm. you need a break. And we show the urgency. It's a little chaotic. Martinelli, you know, quick to pounce, gets the goal. Look what it means to the team. Shake off that deer in headlights feeling, go into halftime level, and come out and go win the game. Except that doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because maybe he's offside. And this is my basic quick take on this. Even if you support VAR, and even if you like VAR for offside, and even if you're okay with the his toenail was offside, so it's offside, fine. At the point at which you can't tell with... 30 seconds of the computers lining it up and looking at it. It is obviously too ambiguous to make the choice. Mm -hmm. And like, this felt very much to me like they were like, I kind of think he's offside and he might have been, so let's call it offside. And you know, the NFL does this really well, to be fair to them. If you can't tell, you stick with the call on the field. Yep. And I know that clear and obvious isn't the standard for the offside stuff, but like, no one can convince me they had a clear enough look at it so they should stick with what's on the field. And this feels like our whole season in a nutshell, which is it's a 50-50. You could convince me he's offside. It's not clear. It goes against us. And I think it's, again, a miscarriage of justice. Yeah, 100%. And I'm not having any of that, oh, well, we played really badly and didn't deserve anything. Like you say, deserves got fuck all to do with it. If we're three or four nil down and that happens, yeah, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time complaining about it. Similar to, you know, maybe we should have had a penalty at Palace, but, you know, 
the, the game was already gone so i'm not going to spend an awful lot of energy on it like this this shit happens all the time teams don't have great first halves but they get a goal somehow and then like they go on and look we might not have gone on and won the game we might we might have lost 6-1 right um i think that's quite unlikely but it it's immensely frustrating like you said, even like the most hardcore advocates uh, for VAR, nobody wants this. Nobody envisaged this. That that is not what it is for. And if if it is what it's for, if if like you know the the kind of the powers that be, IFAB, whatever, who who dreamed this all up, thought, yeah, that's that's yeah, we 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 support, would say privately or publicly, yeah, we support the that you know taking four minutes. And then taking a goal away like that after four minutes of wrangling, like then they're idiots and they've gone some way to ruining like one of the most popular sports on earth for no reason. So well done for that. Or else like the VAR just doesn't really know in, in this case, just didn't really know what they're doing. Um, and, and that's, <laughs> that, that's the interpretation I'm inclined to go with. I don't even think the biggest advocates for VAR want this, think that this is a good thing for the game, think that this is, you know, remotely a good way of using it. So I, I put that down to the uh, individuals, whoever they are, I don't know, I don't really care, I don't think it matters. Um, well, it doesn't matter from my perspective, it does from like IFA, uh, from um, PGMOL's perspective because they should be, they should be asking this individual to explain, like, or these individuals, like, why were you messing around for four minutes on something like this? Like, for the love of God, don't do that. Um, and if they're not saying that, then we've got a problem. Um, it, it's just, it adds to this feeling that, like, one of the biggest emotional responses to VAR, particularly inside a stadium, is the feeling that it's taking something away is the feeling that it takes something from you. Either it takes like a goal or something like that at worst. And at best it takes like the emotional moment away from a goal. And it's really weird because at the beginning of this season, they seem to have settled on a, on a more like low intervention level, which, which I thought like personally, like my, my tolerance is pretty much zero. I don't think we should have it at all, except maybe for violent conduct or excessive force. I'd be all right with it being used for that because a, I think that should always be punished where possible. And B, there's always a natural stoppage when there's a bad foul or something like that, like that you've got time to stop the game and and go for that. But this was just, this was just nonsense. You do not stop a game for four fucking minutes. And and let's be very clear. The reason they disallowed it was because they didn't know, they didn't know their ass from their elbow. And they were like, Oh God, we've stopped this for like three and a half minutes. Now we can't, you know, they thought we've got to pretend we saw an infringement. Now we can't stop it for three and a half minutes and then say it's a goal because we'll look like idiots. It wasn't a a decision that the process was poorly followed, poorly applied. And it wasn't a decision made in the interest of the game or what happened. It was about ass covering and it's, it's shit. It's not good enough. It's absolutely not good enough at this level to have people in charge of something like VAR who clearly don't understand the spirit or the intention of it and really just don't know what they're doing. And this was always another one of my concerns with it is we're adding more and more officials. We don't have enough officials as it is because this is such an unattractive job that nobody wants to do. Hmm. Like I don't know where people thought we were going to get, like just magic up all of these qualified people from. And what we've got is we've got a lot of people 
you know, in charge of VAR, who frankly aren't qualified because all of a sudden, at the drop of a hat, we've had to find like another 40 officials to sort all this out. So, of course, they're not qualified. And this individual, whoever they are, wasn't qualified to do the job. And yeah, it stings. It really stings because it's it's drastically impacted the match. And if Arsenal miss out on the Champions League by a point, blah, blah, blah. And it, it really doesn't feel like this is a, well, you know, some you get, some you don't, because I can't remember one we got. And I, I don't think it's because Arsenal are victimised or anything like that. Although, maybe I'd invite you to look at the geographical diversity of um, of the refereeing pool. Um, there's no racial diversity. There's very little gender diversity. Look at the geographical diversity. This weekend, there was a big debate exploded about Anthony Taylor and uh, all of the officials coming from Greater Manchester for Manchester City v Liverpool. Are there any referees that aren't from fucking Greater Manchester? Like you could you could throw a blanket over where a lot of these officials come from, and you know that. Listen, a lack of diversity leads to bias. It's as simple as that. Now, I'm not saying that that's definitely bias against Arsenal. Like there, there are more serious biases at play here, racial biases and things like that. Um, because it's it's a very white group, right? But, you know, um, a lot of these guys come from, um, you know, places that might not be sympathetic to Arsenal um, as well. And I, and I do think there is probably a small element. I'm not saying that's why this goal was disallowed, but I think what we've seen over the season, there's probably a small element of that as well. And it really needs sorting um, very quickly. Well said. Clive, you want to weigh in on that before we get back to the pure football? The thing I will say is just simply that, sorry, just simply that like what this could have meant for the team, but also for a player like Martinelli, like you just, you just don't know on the sliding doors scale of what it means if we get that goal, come out at halftime, win the game, get those three points. Martinelli feels, you know, a bit more like a hero that the team has lifted. Like this nullifying that goal literally could could define our season from here. That that's how silly that decision is. Yeah, it just felt like they were searching for a reason not to give it, and that's not what the, the game's all about. When I watch these VIR decisions in the Champions League, there seems to be almost like a time limit on it. If you can't see it, then stay with the on-field decision. Does that mean that's exactly what it's there for? For things that are really clearly and obviously wrong, and they were getting their protractors out to make sure they didn't give that goal. That is not sport. That is not what. That is not what people, all the people, the billions of people around the world tune in to see. They really don't. But I, I have mean, to say weren't that. they trying to take away our goal against um what what was there was a goal? There was something they were looking at they were trying to take away from, from us recently again, too. Like I, I just feel like this always happens to us. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, the, the really important. I, I I don't want to take away from what Tim said because it was beautiful. And and I think, you know, I raised this. There is a there is a, a referee re, re, review ongoing. They're going to put in a new, like an EPPP type philosophy around refereeing, and it's not before time. The game is moving on very quickly. Um, the bit about diversity, I totally agree, one hundred percent. Tim, well done. It's just like we got to look at this because we're getting the same type of decisions from the same type of people, and we're accepting it. And that's just that's bigger than Arsenal. That really is. And um, it it can't continue anymore. And um, I do think a lot of referees are on the massive strain. When they're not refereeing a game on the pitch, they're refereeing a game in the VAR room. They're not looked after, they're not protected, they haven't got the right support. And they're thrown out there and they're into things like this. And it's just becoming almost intolerable, you know, and this is just Mm -hmm. not Arsenal-specific. 
And I, I do think with the game has got everything has improved apart from this aspect, and it needs to, and it's just not. And, and I think we need to look at this completely differently. We also need to look at their rules around time. You can't have a situation where you have a four-minute stoppage. This is going to happen more and more. If you introduce technology, you have to, you have to change the rules around time. I believe strongly direct the time clock should be taken out of the referee's hands. I think when substitutions are made, they should be able to say time off. Big injuries, time off. VAR, time off. You have a true 90-minute clock like you're doing rugby. And and simply go to that. So you take away a lot of the gamesmanship. This game at the weekend, how many times are Brighton players rolling around on the floor just sitting there, right? This can't be allowed to continue. You're ruining the product. Take the clock out of the referee's hands. All this changes because there's no benefit. The game is faster. It moves. There is no benefit to delaying play because you're just going to have to play the clock out anyway. And so that's what we need to go to. And I think as the game moves forward, we need to look at the rules around time particularly and I totally agree with what Tim said about refereeing. It's unbelievably spot on. Well said, mate. Yeah. Well, I, I hate that we have to discuss it. And, and I am not, I never have been, and I probably never will be someone who thinks there's a conspiracy against Arsenal. Um, it definitely is the case for me now that this season has been characterized by a number of, an overwhelming number of 50-50 calls that just don't seem to go our way. And again, that doesn't mean they're definitely wrong. Do I think he's definitely onside? No. Do I think he might be offside? Yes. Do I think there's a conclusive view that they had where they know for sure he was? No, I don't think there was. I think they they winged it. They freelanced. And that to me is that to me is a problem, um, obviously. So let's get back to the football though. And I mean, that is the football, but it obviously changes very much what needs to be done. But, but Tim, I just want to come back to the goals that we conceded for a second again. You know, th- this has been the case now in two consecutive games where even though we're not going to play our best attack-wise, the thing that really characterized Arsenal under Arteta before we got the attack going was being more solid defensively. And against Palace, I felt a couple of silly mistakes cost us goals. And against Brighton, I, I thought it wasn't silly mistakes so much as a lack of intensity and urgency to run and cover and 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 get back. And I I opened the episode with it, but I didn't really give you a chance to weigh in on it. I'm I'm curious how you look at that. Like the the first goal, the Trossard goal, okay, they attack the space behind Shaq and they go after where we know the vulnerability is a bit, but like Smith Rowe and Odegaard are walking, Odegaard in particular, who all we've praised him for nonsense is his engine. Mm-hmm. And then the second goal, because the Mwepu uh finish, is that how you say his name, by the way? Have I butchered that? No, I, I did. Um okay, apologies. Um the finish is really good, and, and maybe Ramsdale can be looked at a little bit. But, like, the reason that cutback is on is because they waltz past Sambi and Saka, who are not remotely interested in getting close, you know, cutting out the opportunity. And, like, I, I don't know how to explain that because I do not buy a down tools narrative. We know the players have cared. We've seen the care and consideration. I don't know if it's that they're freezing under the pressure. I mean, is it? do you think that the goals we saw and the lack of running in this performance reflects a young team that just got too scared of losing something they were holding on to so tightly? 
Yeah, it could be that. And it's quite, I mean, I happen to think the most convincing explanation is probably just, you know, everything's changed now. The spaces players are operating in has changed. We're asking yeah. Smith Rowe to play that left eight. I, I, I thought he'd be quite good at that, I have to say. Um, but I, I don't, well, he certainly wasn't in this game. Um, and like just some of the spacing has probably changed for some of the players. Um and, you know, like I said, it's getting further and further back and we don't have that good connectivity between uh, Erdegaard and Saka. Like, basically, teams have worked some of these things out um, and have come up with solutions for them. Um, and, and and also, I think... Now, obviously, like in the Palace game as well, maybe one of the things we're slightly underestimating is that, like, that's both fullbacks now um, because we've been kind of coping without Tomiyasu. And and this is not, you know, like Tomiyasu, Cedric coming in for Tomiyasu. I mean, the big problem there is basically that it's not so much that, like, I think there is an acceptable quality gap between those two players vis-a-vis Cedric being a squad player. Like that's one of the areas of the squad where you go, okay, Tommy Asu's out. Cedric's, you know, he's decent. He's not as good as Tommy Asu, but he's the backup. Of course he isn't. Like that's one where I think there's a more acceptable quality gap. The, the problem is that Cedric does something completely different to Tommy Asu and you have to kind of rejig things. So we rejig things so that Cedric is the one that gets forward and Tierney was the one tucking in. Now we, we lose the left back as well. And I, I, I do think that that's a problem. Like we've been without Tommy Asu for so long that maybe we've forgotten about that a bit, but that was maybe a loss we were carrying. But when you lose the guy on the other side as well, like that really does for some of the connectivity, um, and and that's that's quite difficult. And and I do I do think that's most likely. But I was looking at uh, Aaron Ramsdale's kind of post match comments, and and he was talking, he was implying quite strongly it was about freezing and um, that some of the, that there were issues around pressure and tension. And he said that Arsenal didn't play with the freedom that they'd been playing with in recent weeks. So he seemed to attribute at mm. least some of it to that mental side. And again, you, you have to ask how much of that they got from the manager <laughs> and his, not just his team selection, but you know, we talked about his team selection kind of being a one of fear and, you know, you can probably, assuming that's right, which it might not be, it might be unfair, but assuming that that is right, then you can only assume that much of what they've been doing on the training ground since Tuesday has been, you know, in that same vein about like, um, you know, about, about fear. And, and therefore maybe it's, it stands to reason that some of that has got into the players rather than just saying, do you know what, we're going to play Tavares at left back and you know and just go for it and if we're weak there we're weak there but we'll be strong as strong as we can everywhere else so i I think in short it's probably both i think it's mainly just we've lost some of those uh connective tissues and it's it sounds and it has to be said looks a little bit like perhaps it kind of it looked to me like the players were as worried about those absences as we've been all week it kind of looked like they didn't go into the the match um either them or the manager going it's fine it's fine this is fine like we've got the solution mm. for this they kind of it looks like they all went into it going yeah, we're worried about this as well. We don't know if we've got the solution. And and like I said, I have like a little bit of sympathy for that because I don't think that there's a brilliant one available, but um, I don't think we got into least worst territory here. I think we got into worst territory and that, and that just had an impact on the overall performance. Yeah, that's that's interesting and well said. And Clive, yeah. um, you know, I mean, it, it certainly begs the question of how we fix that. But like it, if 
the players are freezing and they they don't look comfortable and you know the the, the pressure is getting to them you know that it's hard right because you say well should that be the managers job? i mean this is one of the things you get when you have a young team and like you know, maybe one of the reasons he wanted Shaka in there is because he's going to start a young Samby and having Nuno and Samby and Martinelli and Smith Rowe and Sackett. You know, maybe it felt like too much youth. I mean, White and Gabriel and Ramsdale aren't exactly seasoned pros, depending on how you want to look at it. So th- there may be a component there to wanting to try to add or maintain some seniority in, in there. Um, but, you know, it, it is the case that I, I saw a team that was forgetting even the system, just making some basic errors that could have been cleaned up with a little more hard running. But maybe when you're terrified, the brain works a little slower, the legs start responding a little slower, and suddenly it looks like you're not trying, you know? Yeah, we, we lost our balance, right? So the coach will work, he'll work that out. He tried, you know, solutions were a little bit better second half, but they did have two goals. And the players we had in wide areas were the wrong players, and they should have been further up the pitch. But because we were stubborn and didn't want to play people that could have played in wide areas, then we have a situation we've got Pepe playing left wing back. I mean, what are we doing? Right? I'm, and Cedric playing right centre half. These are situations born out of bad selections, right? So let's go into solution mode. So this is there are things you can do by picking a group of players, right? You have to work out what do you need? What does the team need for the final few games? We've lost a we lost a man in party. We don't want to take another man out. This is why a lot of people will still want to see Lacazette on the pitch. You, we, there is a level of maturity that's required, you know. And I, all I would do is say to myself, you know what? I need to find a way to get back on the elbow again and push the left hand side forward. People are questioning Kieran Tierney as he was tucked in and said he was pushing on, and now Tierney's come out. People are not questioning him anymore. They're thinking, oh my god, I wish he was there. People are questioning Party, and now he's come out. They're not questioning him anymore, right? Because they can see the job he was doing. So we just need to share the roles a little bit. You just go back to a three-two-five build-up at the back, three at the back with, and I, and I would bring in a Rob Holding. I generally would bring in a Rob Holding. I'll put Ben White right back, and you build up as a three. Ben White is in the right slot. Gabriel's in his slot. They have exits on the outside. I would play Nuna, but I'd make sure he's a front-footed Nuna. I'd make sure he's, in, he's the fifth person in the channel like Tierney was at the start of the season, a lot of last season. And pushing forward, I would definitely have the ability to exit. So what what I would do, and what teams have done at the moment, because they know we're going to play, we're a team that plays through the thirds. They want to make sure they block the central area. They want to block the pathway to Lacazette or get tight around him. He doesn't win jewels. We can't get the connectivity to the pods or the outside. So we are stopped. We're not physically strong enough. So what we need to do for me, much like the City-Liverpool game, at speed, City played 71 long balls in that game yesterday. Can you believe it? But they had Liverpool running backwards until they were blown out of their ass and they barely hung on. Right. So we've got to get speed up top. Make sure that people are going in behind, going in behind to create room for us to play. You know, we, we teams are pushing up on us. So we've got to take out the lump up front. I'm sorry, you've got to come out. Maybe come on later on. You've got to come out because we need to stretch teams. I don't care who it is. You can you can make your choice. Because right? people are going to disagree about certain players, right? You can make your choice, but they must have speed. They must be able to threaten people, must be able to challenge people, must be able to get people to step away from us so we can then play our game because people are stepping onto us and they're kicking us off the pitch. Right, So we have to change. We have to get more front-footed and change where we're playing. So last time I was this upset, it was probably Everton away. 
You look at that game, we played in the wrong areas. And that's the, that's the issue for me. Forget the selection, forget the system. We've got to get back to playing in the right areas of the pitch. That's the first thing. And that's what we were doing. The emphasis, the emphasis of our team has moved backwards. It's now moved backwards with the fact it's gone back to Shaka again. So Pai was driving this car. Now Shaka's driving it. But not only that, we've taken him back to left back. We've taken him, we take him further back. So guess what? We're playing in our own half until we fix it in the second half, right? So these are these are the silly, silly mistakes. And I could have predicted them. In fact, Elliot, I did a little solo pod, did I, on Friday night? Mm-hmm. And I said not well, what to well, do. I, I was in it. And I used the word fear. I used the same word that Tim spoke to. I used the word fear. Don't do it because people will smell it and they'll step onto you. If you're doing that with your main guy in midfielder always play you've lost one and you're moving the other one to left back that is fear that is telling you you're not happy you can't do it you've got to get on the front foot get people going backwards have confidence in what you're doing and then that will feed through to the players and no one can tell me those players felt confident in what they were the plan they were asked, being asked to execute and we still could have gone in one one at half time i'm sure they got kicked at the backside would have won the game but it didn't work out the lesson needs to be learned and learned now. We, while we still got a chance, it has to be learned. The emphasis of the team moves forward. The attacking element comes back in and we focus on playing in the areas we need to play in to allow our superstar talent to be further up the pitch. When they beat one man, they're getting a shot rather than beat one man and getting kicked on a halfway line. Because that's what's happening at the weekend, and that is not a good use of resources. Another one of my bugbears, right? So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. here's what it is, mate. We're done. Yeah, well, We're done. look, I, I, you know, and I, I think the problem is much like I said, an unpopular place to be is early on analysis of something. Now we're seeing the other thing that unfortunately happens in football, which is an overreaction to some bad performances. So now you see things like, well, when Saliba comes back next season, it's Gabriel's place he's going to take because he's not good anymore, and like. All right, he had the birth of his child, came back from international break, and has had two stinkers. And now I guess we forget that he was like a player of the season candidate. Or like, maybe Smith Rowe just isn't going to be as good as we thought because like he can't solve it all on his own now that the team's been shaken up. And I I do think with the Smith Rowe thing, like, I think Saka, and to some extent Martinelli, has broken our brain a little bit about what you should expect 20, 21-year-olds to be in the Premier League. And like, Saka just goes out and performs pretty consistently at a pretty high level level and has basically since he come has come into the team but that's not the norm for young players in fact i don't think our academy has produced a player as good as saka since ashley cole i mean you could say maybe jack wilshire but like that didn't really pan out so like the the trajectory is usually not lin- like the the pr- progression is not usually linear and smith is going to go through ups and downs i don't think arteta has necessarily decided where he should play yet by the way so like some of the overreaction too i think is is a bit excessive. Um, the team's in a bad moment. It's disrupted, and that's just that's just that. Tim, in terms of the subs here, like, I don't know. You know, Smithrow comes off. Martinelli comes off. Lacazette stays on the whole game. He only makes the two subs, but to be fair, you look on the bench, and I'm not sure what the solution is, but, like, couldn't you just bring Nuno on and push mm. Shaka into midfield? Couldn't you mm. take Lacazette off just this once? Like, maybe we're nitpicking it. It felt very much paint by numbers. You know, these are my guys who come on. These are my guys that come off. I mean, to his credit, I think Nketiah has now had two very, very effective looking sub appearances, which I would never have said he should start over Lacazette. I would have said it should be Smith Rowe or Martinelli. I think Nketiah has put himself in position now to, to at least, if we believe in meritocracy, his last two appearances say, 
pick me coach. I'm curious how you think of the sub performances, but also the decisions on on who specifically to take off. Yeah. So the the Inketia thing. I mean, I, I I agree with you. At the same time, I do kind of think it's a game state thing, um, where in both games, like the 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 other team were just sitting back and and I guess there's there's still a value in that, right? If you show that you can get chances when the opponents are sitting back, but I, you know, I'm not convinced that, in, and maybe I'm being unfair and I'll be proved wrong, but I'm not convinced that would carry that threat in a nil nil game state. Maybe he would, but you see he's come on like he came on against Everton that time as well. Right. The, the other like nightmare performance that Clive referenced and he gets that chance. And yeah, he basically, he looks kind of better. I think when we're chasing a game, whereas um, when, <laughs> when, when we're trying to hold on to a result like at Wolves and at Villa, he was genuinely awful when he came on. But what was interesting to me was how quickly Arteta did that. Like usually Eddie's not been getting on until like, you know, the 80th minute or something like that. Whereas this was what, like 62 or something like that. And, and I think, I think like the subs, I think that would have happened even earlier. If, if I remember correctly, the ball just didn't go out of play for ages. Like Nketiah was ready to come on like 10 minutes into the second half. Like that, that tells you something and that, whether that's increased faith in Eddie or whether that's decreased faith in others remains, uh, you know, I guess we don't know yet. We'll find out a bit more in the next couple of weeks. I do think Smith Rowe coming off was fair enough because I think he was pretty poor in this game. And I, I, I think there's clearly still an issue for him fitness wise that just hasn't looked right since Christmas. Um, and we can see that in, in his minutes. Uh, Martinelli coming off and Lacazette staying on can't explain that. Like, don't don't know. Can't explain that. That just looks like it was. I, I was worried was, Martinelli might have picked up a knock. Like there was a yeah, moment where he looked, but yeah. but absent that, then yeah, I can't. Yeah, really yeah, know. could be, could be. So uh, you know, um, uh, and maybe that's the reason, and 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 you know, maybe that's wise because maybe like you, you save Martinelli for you know when we're not. 2-0 down against Brighton and it's all a bit forlorn. So, you know, if, if there's information that we don't have there, like, fair enough. I I really thought he was going to bring Tavares on at halftime. Um, in fact, I tweeted, about, I tweeted about it at the time and, thought, and said, you know, well, what? imagine if he comes on and helps to rescue this. Like, any confidence he's got damaged. Um, you know, instant pickup right there. But again, that looks like a decision that was that was predetermined, really not bringing him on. And look, it might be because he's crushed. It might be because he's a shell of a man and he can't play at the moment. And, you know, that was just as likely to be the case if he comes off the bench as as as, um, as not. And, and it will be really interesting to see what he does at Southampton on Saturday. And I'm, I, let's save that conversation for the pod later in the week. But again, like... If he's interested in rebuilding Tavares's confidence, then going back to him, you know, I, I'm sure that would mend some bridges. But um, you know, he may not be invested in that anymore. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think we had an awful lot on, on the bench. Inketia, obvious. But, I mean, Pepe, like my God, um, I I think it's such a weird footballer, such a weird footballer because he's got brilliant feet, but like. It, sometimes when he comes on the pitch and like does stuff like he did in the last minute, like with the short corner and everything, like I start singing to myself, you know, the song from wizard of Oz, the scarecrow song. If only, if only I had, had a brain, brain. <laughs> I start yeah. singing that to myself and it's just like, we, we can't, it, it, it's difficult to trust the guy for 90 minutes because like, 
Yeah. But, but can I make one point? Like th- that is something, Tim, I got to say that like, I'm struggling with this team generally because I'm seeing things from players. Because with Pepe, you say, all right, I sort of expect it. But weird things like Gabriel's decision to try to slide in and intercept that pass against Palace instead of just staying in his position where there's no chance they get the goal. Odegaard giving away the penalty. Odegaard not running back for the the Brighton goal. The um, Cedric taking the free kick. Like there's just, there's been a number of very strange decision-making in high-leverage yeah. moments by this team the last two weeks. Yeah, and th- that could be pressure. That, could, Like I say, I think it's probably a mixture of pressure and, oh, God, <laughs> not every, everyone, like all the bits. Do you remember that analogy Arteta made when he first joined about being in the kitchen? Um, and this is very pertinent to me because I've just moved house, but like he says like when you first get into a house, you can't always remember where the glass is. But, you know, the longer you're there the quicker you get your glass of water because you know where everything is. And it just seems like the arrangement has changed. Like someone has come in and changed where all the plates and where all the cups are. And we don't, we don't quite know where everything is again, but, but yeah, I I think there are elements as well of, of pressure um, there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just add on that? Can I just add a little bit towards this? I think I I would love if you would, please. This is, then we're going to talk about how our season is a catastrophe and everything's done. (laughs) This is something that sometimes you need to recognise as a as a manager, right? So, we we had we had something that was working really really nice, and um, it, those we got a couple of key people not there. And Tommy Asu, by the way, let's not underestimate him. I think he was a major stabilising factor to our team. And so, sometimes you need to change the system a little bit. And what this does is it gives players something else to think about, because all these players are thinking about the holes in the group in our current in our current way. If you give them a new role and a slightly new system, what they do is they focus on the next thing they have to do. And it's a new thing, and they become enthused. I saw a lack of enthusiasm. You saw it was a lack of work rate earlier. Same thing, right? Same output. Mm. I think you need to you need to spark people. I say, quite, let's do something different. If it, is it a three? Not sure. Is it a double six with a true ten flying from side to side with three sprinters ahead? Left back pushed up five channels, five plus five. I like that. It, it, just decide, do something that gets people sparked again. We're in the last quarter of the season and you need to change because we need to drag a young group over the line. And we've had some, we've had a blow and you need to change something. And I think this is the key bit now. This is it. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm worried. I'm generally worried about the next thing that we do and I can't predict it. You know, and that's a worry for all of us, right? I can't predict it. I got a feeling Shackle's going to be at left back at the weekend, and I, I've just got his feeling, and, and and I hope that is not the case because we lose too many departments, we lose too much forward play, we use too much ball progression, we lose too much, we lose too much presence, and we gain nothing. You know, we gain a red card risk. You know, in wide space on left hand side, which we have seen before. You know, so we just have to grow up here. Really quickly, really quickly. Yeah, and look, it sucks that we're missing three first-team players, three starters. And to be fair, we're missing four. Because going into the season, Aubameyang was our starting striker, and we don't have him, so we are missing him. Now, we're missing him because of what he did or what we did. Who cares? Forget that. The point is, four starters gone, three, if you only want to call it, Tomiyasu, Tierney, and Party, and it has crushed us. And we've lost two games, and we have to right the ship quickly. You watch that Liverpool and City game. Those are two teams with the title on the line, executing at the absolute highest level. And you look at Arsenal with top four really in our hands, 
and we collapsed. We crumbled under that pressure, admittedly, with some injuries, although, you know, that whether you want to rate it as being that or something else. And it's a young team. And we saw, you know, the interesting thing of the subtext of the celebrations after beating Wolves and after beating Villa is how much it meant to them. But maybe, you know, look, I was never on board with the don't celebrate. Of course you celebrate, come on. But maybe the high highs, maybe letting it mean that much to you also creates that environment of that, that immense pressure to not lose it, to not let it slip through your fingers. And so I want to just point this out, Tim. Last season, everybody knows we finished eighth. No surprise there. 61 points, 55 goals scored, not good. 39 goals conceded, not bad, 13 losses. 55-4, 39 conceded, 61 points. We are on pace now, realistically, with 45 goals scored and eight games to play to potentially finish with fewer goals scored. We have 36 allowed, so we will concede more than we did last year. We have 10 losses right now. And we are on 54 points. Now, I think it is almost impossible we finish with a lower point total than last season. But it is not out of the realm of possibility that we finish on 63 with 53 goals scored and 45 conceded and 13 or 14 losses. My fear now, I said it'd be disappointing if we didn't get top four. But I also said, Tim, if we finish with high 60s, low 70s points and our attack looks better and Tottenham just got really hot and passed us, it'll hurt. But, you know, it's progress. The fear for me now is that if we don't right the ship, all of this feeling that the project was going in the right direction, the trust, the process stuff, that we're making progress, that we're going to fit. All right, we're almost certainly not going to finish eighth. I, I still think Europa League is, is almost assured. Having said that, it's just a three-point lead back to seventh place. But like, what is your take on what needs to happen now for us not to wind up in a situation where we go into the summer questioning if progress was made. And, and that is such a painful thing to have to ask in the context of where we were just two weeks ago. But given how we've looked the last two games and the players were missing, yeah, we'd like to get top four, and that is still live, absolutely. But we also have to ensure that this season doesn't finish in in such a collapse that we are unable to claim any progress uh, from what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah. So my own personal opinion is that I've seen enough this season, even if there is like a big collapse, like I, I've seen enough this season to think that there is progress, that I can see where the intention is and everything. And and if we do have a collapse, I'm not saying a collapse would be acceptable at this point, but I think we can point to the reason why. And, and when you can point to the reason why quite clearly – then it means the fix is easier. Whereas a year, 18 months ago, I didn't really see the fixes that much other than, oh my God, we need a number 10, don't we? Because we literally don't have one. But I, I didn't see things as clearly. Whereas last summer, I think we we instantly upgraded the squad, the the starting lineup with four players who who have improved us. And and yeah, look, the, the metrics might might you know, blow up in our faces and everything. But I've seen stuff this season that I didn't see last season in the performances. And, and I do think the fixes are more obvious. That said, I, I think, um, and, and, but like, yeah, of course, like for particularly externally for, and probably internally as well for belief in the project, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, it's important that we don't collapse. I, I think maybe a more interesting question here is because one of the things we're going to have to do in the summer is really like thicken up the squad. We, we let a lot of squad players go and we were right to do so. We were right to let, I think, the likes of Chambers, Kalasinac, Maitland-Niles, their Arsenal races are run. 
Um, and, and I think we were right to let them go. And I, I don't think any of those players would have made a huge difference. But maybe Kalasanac would have made a bit of a difference um, because he probably would have been picked on Saturday, but he probably wouldn't have played for like four months before that. So, you know, big mm. whoop. Yeah. I, I think one of the more interesting um, kind of questions, I guess, over, you know, quote unquote, the project is, can Arteta coach to improve? Because nearly every improvement that we've seen from Arsenal has come from like a signing um, has been external or like Saka and Smith-Rowe coming from the academy. And they're, they're, you know, they're like signings. They just don't cost any money. They just, they come from another environment into the first team. The the question is, can he coach to improve? And how is he going to, you know, I guess to the point Clive was making earlier in the pod, you know, can he once he gets squad players that are more to his liking, can he keep them on board? Tavares is a squad player he bought and and he's kind of burned him out already. <laughs> like, how does he handle this challenge next season, assuming we do thicken up that squad and we buy, you know, a few more Lacongas um, or players like that, like another Cedric, replace Pablo Mari, you know, those kind of third, fourth cho- choice guys. Can he keep them on the boat? And, and can he coach improvement in some of those players? Because essentially, almost all of, the, most of the improvement we've seen has been because of signings you know because of like of course 35 million Odegaard and the bargain at 35 million Odegaard of course that improves the team of course dropping 50 million on party improves the team like and 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 that's fine and like don't get me wrong that is like 80 to 90 percent of how a team gets good um is because of that but like some of these margins can he coach to improve some of those players when he has more squad players can he like can he manage them? Can he coach them up? I'm looking at a player like Lakonga and I'm thinking, right, okay, you've got an inter- interesting raw materials there. Can you simultaneously have this guy as a backup player, but also coach him up so that maybe in two or three years, he's no longer a backup player. That That's the, that's the, the I guess um, my question about quote unquote, the project at the moment. Mm, yeah. I mean, I wonder sort of in a similar but slightly different vein, just like can can Arteta compromise his non-negotiables to just get wins? You know what I mean? Like can he can he put a player on the pitch he might need to really bite his lip to do it? Can he pick a player he may rather not? Because, look, culture's important, and we, you know, even though I'm grudgingly ready to accept that it had to change and that the changes were for the best, there has to be a balance where you're willing to compromise some of your non-negotiables to get that win that stops the rot, that gets the ship pointed in the right direction. It goes back to my old thing about when Arsene Wenger tried to, like, bench Alexis Sanchez at Anfield and wound up bringing him on at halftime. Like, sometimes you have to stick to your principles, and sometimes you have to be willing to budge a little bit. Um, unfortunately, these are things that are so behind the scenes that we're always speculating. We don't know for sure. But, Clive, to finish this off, because we're starting to run a bit long, he says, having run a bit long, um, the goal of this season still is top four. Arteta needs to find a way to to convince his team that top four is still live, because it is. It is absolutely live. We're three points back with a game in hand, and we go to Spurs. But with trips to Stamford Bridge and to West Ham and to Spurs and with United coming to ours, it is also live to fall out of the European places altogether. 
And that that cannot be allowed. The, we cannot go into the summer needing to buy a striker, trying to evaluate where we're at, looking and saying, well, we went from eighth to seventh, scored fewer goals, conceded more, and have no real Europe again except the conference. Like that can't happen. So what do you think realistically you see happening now in terms of him turning around? I mean, you'd say the good news is we play a team that got thumped six nil at the weekend and has lost like I think four of their last four Premier League games or whatever. But for Arsenal, that tends to be our kryptonite. Yeah, I'm not going to go into full depression mode. And I apologize for being a bit grumpy on this podcast, right? So, <laughs> so I, I will allow it. <laughs> I think um, I, I've seen lots of very exciting improvement this year. Lots of it. And I've been mm-hmm. so enthused when I've gone to the stadium and watched some of the away performances. I've enjoyed it a lot, a lot more than many previous years. So I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to I totally agree with bin. that, by the way. I'm yep. not going to throw it all, all in the bin. I think there are players there, like what Tim mentioned in, in Sambi and, and, and Nuno for me, that are incredibly exciting coaching projects. Incredibly exciting. Non-negotiable shouldn't come into this because he's bought them. They're his guys. Right, so they're they should be on the boat. So let's let's look after them. Let's coach them because they've got some extraordinary talents to build upon. Let's make sure that we're using them in a way they can show the, their best face. That's your job as a coach. Don't overburden them and don't break them emotionally. Right, so that's what you've got to do. You've got to do. And there may be one or two players that I would like to see that I don't feel are trusted. But it doesn't really matter. Understand where the game is. Understand where our game has gone. I'm sure they'll be analysing the data like we do. Understand where we're playing and change it. Change it quickly and get your talent in the right areas of the pitch. And I'm sure they can do it. I'm sure they're going to work it out. I just feel what the, what will what will make people lose a little bit of faith is is the repeat mistakes. I think, and we've got this fresh in our minds, right? So we have to move away from that. And as as we're looking forward, I don't I don't worry about these teams when we're playing well. I, I don't. But at this moment in time, we're not we haven't got a team that's playing well, and we don't look joined up. So every game looks really difficult. You know, you know, Chelsea game looks difficult all of a sudden a week or so ago, and they were losing their owner, etc. We thought oh, maybe we'll catch them off. You know, Spurs have found a little bit of form. They brought in Kulazewski, who I think is a really good player, and I really wanted to come to Arsenal as a false nine. Funny enough. I think he'd be a very good centre forward at the false nine. They played him tucked in off the right, and he's got a wing back outside of him, just in that little slot there, driving in and shooting and moving either side with Son. They look they look sharp, right? So but that's we were sharp a couple of weeks ago. And it changes. And we have to we have to hold on to this feeling of where we were and recover. Football changes very quickly. And the one beautiful thing about the game is there's always another game. You know, and that's what the coaches need to say right now. I thought Arteta spoke really well after Crystal Palace. I was really hopeful at the weekend, but the fear set in. We need to rid ourselves of it, get back on the front foot, and get these teams scared of us again, and then we'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, and like, the, Clive, you made an important point, but we also have to live in the real world in the sense that I have seen immense progress that I'm proud of. I've seen football over three or four months that I think is winning, sustainably winning football. Obviously, whether it was sustainable or not depends on the pieces. Input there are certain pieces that you take them out of a team and you can't reproduce it. I mean, if Tottenham lost Harry Kane, I don't think any of us have any doubts about where they would be headed. Right? Some teams are fragile. We are definitely fragile, and our ability to play that winning football depends on certain pieces, and we're missing them right now. But it's a process. But here's the reality. Here's where the real world comes in. You can't finish seventh 
with 52 goals scored and 45 conceded and tell people, please think of the progress we made in the middle of the season. Because even if you're right, it won't work that way. It Maybe it should, but it won't. And so it is absolutely essential that that doesn't happen. It is essential that we dig deep and beat Southampton, that we find a way to beat United at home and West Ham away. And whatever happens in the Derby, you know, or maybe to Chelsea away, you know, we finish it up with a win over Everton on that day. And we say, well, we're in the Europa League again. That's a step forward. The injuries really cost us, but there's progress here. We have to at least get that and keep top four hopes alive. But we can't we can't expect realistically that people will be willing and able to focus on the progress we saw this season if it doesn't go that way. So there is a big, there is a big sliding doors moment now here where we either right the ship and we get it back on track and we finish this season thinking about the progress or we don't, I am inclined to believe we still will. I think there is too much talent and too much progress that was made that it will all just vanish. But it, it is a little fragile when you build it with young teams and they can lose sight of it and freeze up under the spotlight. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, now being the outsiders for top four again will help us play with a little more freedom. As silly as it sounds, maybe that'll happen. You know, Southampton is a get-right game. We need that game to go our way because then it's then it's a gauntlet. Then it's Chelsea away. It's United at home. It's West Ham away. It's Spurs away. So let's see what happens there. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Not sure if I want to rewatch this game over on the Patreon side of things. We'll we'll sort of figure out what we want to do with Patreon. We have a new content concept that Clive came up with that's brilliant. We're gonna we're gonna definitely do more of that. Um, and if you'd like to join us there, we'd just love to have you. Uh, it's not just the instant reactions, it's video scouting, it's rewatches of games video, it's um, you know, it's it's solo pods to get individual ideas out more, it's player spotlights, um, tactical analysis, we do data reviews, and um, you know, because the uh, the pound is worth more than the dollar. Actually, if you're over there in England, you're you're spending well less than five pounds a month for it. So we we really try to put out a lot of great content there. And we'd love to have you there. And thank you again. And a huge thanks to Maraid King over at the Arsenal Foundation for yeah. giving us a platform to raise money for for her great organization for the Arsenal uh, and to the community. So again, uh, at the end of the day today, we'll close off the ability to win the tickets uh, over on the auction and the regular fundraiser. We'll we'll pick the winners. We'll set up for a great day against Everton no matter what happens this season because the Arsenal is also just about a great day out and spending time with people and friends. So we'll definitely do that. Um, and thank you again for your generous contribution. So we'll leave it there. Uh, tomorrow's a new day. Always another chance to turn things around. Football's weird. You never know. Spurs could collapse. We could go on to win every game. It's still it's still there. Uh, hope springs eternal. So let's, fingers crossed for that. Uh, my name's Alex Smith, the Blockman's Richard Yengetter. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Southampton New. 